you have your Bibles, if you'll stay with me in Luke chapter 19, we're going to look at those first 10 verses that Sam just read for us. And uh, let me say a word or two about uh, what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, because we are going to take a serious look at your own life. And I'm going to ask you uh, to take a real hard look. Are you excited? <laughs> I thought so. All right. We're in a series where we're talking about encountering Jesus. And one of the things that inevitably happens when you encounter Jesus is that if you're going to come face to face with Jesus, you're also going to have to come face to face with the truth about yourself. You can only meet Jesus if you're willing to face truth, because Jesus is always about truth. So the story that Pastor Sam just read was a story of an encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Uh, so to get kind of started, I want you to remember, kind of go back when you were growing up, back to when you would dream about what you might do when you grew up. How many of you, kind of a show of hands on this, wanted to be or knew someone who wanted to be, maybe one of your siblings, uh, but wanted to be a fireman or a police officer or something in uniform? Anybody growing up wanted to do something like that? All right. How many of you thought about becoming an artist, an actor, a singer, a writer, some kind of artistic thing uh, where you're up front, in front of people? Anybody? Raise your hands. Few, few. Okay. How many wanted to be a doctor or a nurse or something in the healing profession, like a therapist? Show of hands there. How many, how many wanted to be an astronaut? Anybody wanted to be an astronaut? No one? Wow. Just totally unmotivated. All right. We got an astronaut in the room. All right. How many of you would say when you were growing up as a child wanted to grow up and be a tax collector? Show of hands. Anybody? You see, tax collectors are never popular in any age. There was a recent interview with the IRS commissioner, and the term revenue agent has been removed uh, from the lexicon. Because the IRS, what they do, uh, they got to look for other titles, so they use things like paraprofessionals. And the IRS, as you many, know, as many know, are hiring thousands of paraprofessionals to be what they're now calling compliance people. It's not hard to guess what compliance people are going to do. You don't want to get a phone call from a compliance person. It's not going to be a good news for you. But tax collectors have never been popular. In Israel, tax collectors were a whole other breed. In Israel, there were certain vocations that carried a social stigma with them, what they called the despised uh, trades. No devout Jewish person would engage in any of them. And one of the things that a religious leader would do was make lists of despised trades and warn people not to get into them. And some of these that have survived the last thousands of years. There are some occupations That'll make just a few of the lists. One of the lists that survived has at the bottom of it physicians and butchers as despised jobs because they were tempted to cater to the rich and to ignore the poor. They made it on a few of those lists. Some occupations are listed not because they're dishonorable, but because they're just disgusting. Uh, they involve disgusting tasks. One of the lists had on it tanners of dead skins and dumb collectors. 
Gun collecting was an actual career choice in the first century. A popular song of the day was, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be gun collectors. <laughs> Very popular. In fact, if a woman's husband became a gun collector, she actually had the right to, to divorce him and to receive a settlement. One of the teachers taught that this was true, even if she married him, knowing that that was the profession he was going to go into. One of the rabbis says, uh, I knew you thought you could endure it, but you can't. We understand. <laughs> there were, however, a few professions that were just not uh, just unpleasant. They were actually considered immoral. They were to be shunned as immoral people. Uh, I'll read you some of the list here. These are the despised trades. People who gamble with dice. People that were involved in usury. Selling of loans to people who are poor. Both of those because they exploit the poor. A pigeon trainer is one of those that make the list. Not because they had anything against pigeons, but pigeon racing was a form of gambling. So one of the things that was on the list. And at the very bottom of the list is tax collectors. So you have to try to imagine for a moment how deeply tax collectors were despised in Jesus' day. As many of you know, Israel was an occupied country. It was occupied by Rome. It was not free. Rome was very interested in how much money they could bring out of the countries that they occupied. They had a supported army and their Roman roads and so on. And they were always interested in getting money out of these countries. And what they found was that instead of having Romans collect taxes, they could get it better if they had natives do it. So they would hire Israelites to collect taxes from their fellow Israelites. And this is the way the deal worked. They would let people bid for the right to be a tax collector. And whoever had the highest bid, somebody would say, I think I can get $100 million from Douglas County. They would get the job. And he would collect as much in taxes as he could get away with. And he had to give to Rome what he bid, but whatever was left over, what was over on top of that, he could keep to himself. This system was set up so tax collectors were highly motivated to get every penny that they could. They had to commit to a certain amount, but if that's all they collected, they got no profit. Everything over and above was profit, and that's what they were doing for. Tax collectors served Rome, so they were despised as traitors who had sold out their brothers and sisters and the people of God, sold out Israel for a profit. And they were just not traitors. It was assumed that any tax collector was guilty of massive dishonesty. There is a saying in those days, for tax collectors, repentance is hard. In other words, tax collectors had cheated so many people. If they wanted to repent, they wouldn't even know where to begin. For tax collectors, repentance is hard. Tax collectors were so notorious for their dishonesty that one Roman writer in the first century actually writes about a town that erected a statue to an honest tax collector. They had a tax collector that was so honest and it was so real, rare. 
that they built a statue of honor. Tax collectors were not only hated, they were deprived of their political and civil rights. They could not serve as a witness in courts along with women. They were not allowed to serve as judges. They could not serve as elders or leaders. A devout Israelite would not even allow the hem of a tax collector's robe touch their robe. And if you wanted to gain a sense of what it meant to be a tax collector and how people felt about tax collectors, then think for a moment in terms of the most despised categories in our day, such as drug dealers or terrorists. And you have to put yourself into those categories to understand the story Luke is telling us. And the obvious question is, what would make Zacchaeus willing to enter a profession that would create such hatred, hostility, and isolation for him. Well, I kind of have an idea about this. Uh, this is just an idea. It's not necessarily the gospel truth, but a guess. I'll put it down and pick it up if you want to. But when you read the story, you know that Zacchaeus had one physical characteristic that is prominent enough that Luke writes about. For a man to be considered attractive, Generally, a man is supposed to have three attributes. He's supposed to be handsome, he's supposed to be dark, and he's supposed to be what? Tall. Tall, dark, and handsome. That's what a good man is supposed to be. If you remember the song that any of you sang when you were little kids in Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. All right? Little man, as the song goes, he was the run of the litter. Other kids can be very cruel in the way that they treat people who are different, especially who look different and are small. It may be that Zacchaeus decided he would show everybody else that he had become a big man in the way that he knew how. Because money became the guiding force in his life. And in any event, he became a tax collector. And not just any tax collector, he was as good at it. Luke tells us he is the chief collector. That is, he had other tax collectors working for him, and he was overseeing a wide geographical area. He was rich. It's fair to assume that he was thoroughly dishonest. He had given up on society, on friendships, on honesty and integrity. He had given up on all of it, and he was betting everything that affluence, wealth, possessions, power would give him meaning and fulfillment in his life. And he bet everything on it. But it wasn't working out. There's a hole in his heart. It could not be filled. And then he hears that Jesus is coming his way. Jesus is coming to Jericho. And there's something about Jesus that just intrigued Zacchaeus. And it's not hard to figure out what that was. If you have your Bibles, turn back just a few chapters to Luke chapter 5. And you get a really clear reason why Zacchaeus would be interested in Jesus. Uh, picking up in verse 27 of Luke 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Very often, tax collectors would be at booths or behind fencing to separate themselves from their clients 
and they would collect tolls from people that were transporting merchandise. Jesus comes to the tax booth and says to Levi, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, followed him. Remarkable verse. Two remarkable things happen there. One is Jesus comes up to a tax collector and invites him to be his disciple, to be with him. And the tax collector gets up, leaves everything, follows. Verse 29 goes on, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Knowing what you know about tax collectors, you can understand now the next verse. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged in their sect complained to his disciples. This kind of thing would be extremely upsetting to them. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, they say. Notice their expression, tax collectors and sinners. It becomes synonymous. To be a tax collector is a sinner, despised, shunned. And Jesus answers, verse 31, 32, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You look back now at Luke 19. Word about that gets out. This is not the kind of thing that you cover up. Jesus goes to parties for tax collectors. That's like this great moral religious teacher going to parties for the most despised segment of society. He hangs out with mafia members and drug dealers. In fact, one of his own followers is a tax collector. Zacchaeus wants to see this man who hangs out with people like him. And what Zacchaeus doesn't know, but is about to find out, is that the arrival of Jesus means that Zacchaeus is going to have to face up to the truth about his own life. So Jesus is coming to Jericho. Zacchaeus wants to see him, but there's a crowd. You kind of have to picture the scene. And what you do as a tax collector, you want to hang out with crowds. Obviously, you don't. When you're a tax collector, you're not going to be a popular guy. And people are not likely to want to be around you. There's a fair amount of shoving, pushing, cursing for any tax collector. Uh, so Zacchaeus knows this, but he wants to see Jesus. So he goes ahead, climbs up into a tree to see over the crowd. And I think he probably climbs up there for another reason. And it's just to get away from the crowd. Because Zacchaeus wants to hide. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he wants to hide. And picture what goes on here in verse 4. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, put yourself in Zacchaeus' spot place for a moment. Sit up there with him in the tree. Zacchaeus is sitting in a tree. 
Jesus is getting closer and closer. Zacchaeus is thinking, this is a really good idea. I'm going to get a really good look at Jesus, maybe to hear a little bit about what he says. And Jesus gets closer, and all of a sudden, he's not only close, he's standing right underneath the tree. And he's not just standing right underneath the tree, he's looking up into the tree right at you. And that means the whole crowd, hundreds and hundreds of people who wanted to see Jesus and wanted to be with Jesus, are now starting to look up into their tree and asking each other, what is he looking at? He's looking at something. And Jesus spills the beans. He says, Zacchaeus. That one word ripples through the crowd. Imagine for a moment how Zacchaeus feels. He thinks he's going to hide in a tree and watch from a safe distance. And all of a sudden, Jesus and everybody else in the whole world is now looking at him sitting in a tree. <laughs> and he tries to be casual. Do you want to come on up and have a branch? We can have a little chat about what's going on here. Zacchaeus, Jesus says crowd is buzzing. Oh, he's going to let Zacchaeus have it. This is time we're going to get payback on these people. This is going to be brutal. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I don't know about you, but it's really hard to have a conversation with somebody when they're up in a tree. Really difficult to have. Jesus says, come down immediately. And Zacchaeus does, and Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. Notice what Jesus says. He does not say, I want to stay at your house. He doesn't say, I'd like to stay at your house. I must stay at your house today. Luke wants us to understand by this that there is a necessity to what Jesus is doing and that God is at work behind all of this. This is the kind of thing Jesus must do to reveal the radical nature of the grace of God. In front of everybody, I must go to this man's house. Think of such a person in your mind. Think of a person whom all polite and decent people would shun. Then imagine Jesus walking up Treating them with courtesy and dignity. Not only touching them, calling them by name, asking to come to their house, to sit down and eat with them. Think that through, and you might get some sense of the shock and confusion that everybody will feel. Zacchaeus does. He comes out of the tree, finally acknowledges the truth. His whole life has been built on greed and dishonesty. He has sinned against God and his people. And Zacchaeus begins by coming out of hiding. The first step in being restored to God is you've got to come out of hiding. You have to see the futility of trying to evade detection. There was a, a column in the Time magazine a while back ago with the headline, Smart Criminals, Foolish Choices. And it talked about people that broke the law, did wrong things, and yet tried to hide what they had done. Did it very foolishly. Uh, there was one uh, account a 
of a gentleman who had stolen a bracelet well, was apprehended because he went into the pawn shop to pawn this bracelet they had stolen. And the pawn shop owner recognized the jewelry as his wife's. <laughs> He's trying to pawn a bracelet to the husband of the woman that he stole it from. Not a really smart thing to do. In Charleston, West Virginia, a knife-wielding mugger mugged a would-be victim that could only produce $12.50 in cash. And the victim said, would you take a check? And the mugger said, sure. And he took a check for $300 and was arrested the next day trying to cash the check. <laughs> In Lynn, Massachusetts, a bank robber stole a little over $4,000 from the bank. He was tracked down minutes later in his getaway car, which was a Uber. <laughs> Identification was made easier by the fact that the criminal was still wearing the mask that he had used during the stick-up. Driving down the streets in a cab with a ski mask after robbing a bank in a Uber. Not a really smart thing to do. Now, of course, only really low IQ criminals would try to hide things so foolishly, right? There's a pattern that is just inevitable for us. We do wrong, and sin always leads to hiding. We do something, we do something wrong, and we sin, we feel guilt and shame, and our first instinct is to hide Pretend like we didn't do it, like little kids. But hiding always leads to aloneness. You see that here with Zacchaeus. There is this guilt, this shame, and then it always leads to inability to receive love. When you're hiding, you are unable to authentically receive love. Because deep down inside, you know that if even if you're fooling somebody and they do and say things nice back to you, what's happening inside of you is if you knew the truth about me, if you really knew the truth, you would alone. That is the pattern of sin. Hiding, aloneness, brokenness. And that burden weighs so heavily on people that they'll do anything to try to get rid of that guilt. So I want to ask you for a moment to imagine that instead of Zacchaeus being up in the tree this morning, that it's you up in the tree. And you long to see Jesus. I have a very deep conviction that most of you are here this morning because you want to be with Jesus. But the truth about you and me is there is a part of us that is afraid to see Jesus. Because you know that your life doesn't quite measure up in some ways. And I want you to imagine that you are in the tree, half hoping that you'll see Jesus, and maybe half hoping that you don't see him at all. But if Jesus were to come along right now, and he climbed up and sat next to you on your lip, the question for you is, what is it that Jesus would need to talk to you about this morning? What is it in your life that you are most likely to hide? And will you just acknowledge it to him this morning? 
Maybe you'll need to confess it before another person. Certainly you could do that with Jesus. And you'll need to face up to it to yourself. But encountering Jesus means that Zacchaeus must come down out of the tree and admit the truth about his life to Jesus, to himself, and to a group of other people that he had wronged and hurt. If you've ever been in a recovery program and know much about them, you'll know that there is a step that is very important that says, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. We face the truth about ourselves ruthlessly, and we stop hiding. A part of the sickness in us is that we are willing to live with huge problems in our lives as long as, as other people don't find out. As long as we can hide them. But here's the truth about us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. And unrepentant sinners are more concerned about getting caught than getting help. And repentant sinners are more concerned with getting help than getting caught. So Zacchaeus is in this tree. He's carrying his burden around and hiding. And notice Jesus' approach here. If Jesus, Jesus was an ordinary religious leader, this is what Jesus would do. Zacchaeus, if you clean up your life, change professions, pay back what you owe, straighten things around, then he'll come to your house. I can't do it right now. I'll, I'll come to your house, but I can't do it right now. I won't come now. It'll look like I'm condoning you. I can't afford the criticism that would cause my ministry. If you'll clean up your life, then I'll come to you. Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus always, always leads with grace. Amen. And folks, that is why no matter what you are hiding, you can trust Jesus with it. Jesus pays a considerable price for leading with grace. Anytime his Christ followers follow the Jesus way, you will pay the same price for leading for grace. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. <laughs> Luke goes out of his way to tell us that this is just not a few negative people. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. This is a remarkable thing that happens. Zacchaeus, a few minutes ago, before Jesus came by, thought his whole life was built on all the stuff that he could collect. Now he's ready to give up his wealth. The stuff that he had sacrificed, built his whole life on, all the stuff that he collected, the stuff that he's willing to give away for the sake of Jesus. And he does this extraordinary thing, and you're going to notice this. There's great wisdom in terms of spiritual development here. Zacchaeus stood there, said to the Lord, look, and he does two things. Pay attention to this. I'll go with the second one first. He says, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, he didn't have to do any of that. By law, he's only required to pay people back what he had taken plus 20% in interest. 
The Old Testament law said that if you cheated somebody, you have to pay them back what you took with an additional 20%. That Kias goes way out beyond that. I'll give back four times the amount. That's how much he is committed to making things right. But then he does another extraordinary thing. He says, in addition to making things right with the people that I have wronged, I'm going to go beyond that. And I want to replace my old habit of greed with a new behavior of generous extravagance. In addition to what I'm going to give back to restore to people, half of all my possessions now I'm going to give to the poor. You see, after this business of honest examination of the truth about his life, the next step for his restoration is what I call remove and replace. Remove and replace. And the idea here is that I will ask God to remove what it is that I have been doing wrong, but then also to replace it with the opposite virtue. You see this all the time in the New Testament. For example, Paul in Ephesians 4 says, Put off the old self and put on the new self. Don't just remove falsehood, put on truthfulness. Don't just remove bitterness, replace it with forgiveness. You see, once you've acquired a bad habit, the only way to stop doing it is to start doing something else that's incompatible with it. This is just the truth about spiritual growth. Uh, quick exercise on this this morning. Uh, just go with me on this. We're going over a little bit. Just go with me. Everybody close your eyes for me. Just close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything embarrassing or anything like that. Just close your eyes. Trust me on this. Just close your eyes for a moment. Some of you know that Mickey Mouse has his birthday coming up. I want you for a moment, all eyes closed, nobody looking around. Nobody looking around. For a moment, I, I don't want you to picture Mickey Mouse in your mind. Don't picture Mickey Mouse in your mind. I don't want you to picture those little round cute ears of Mickey Mouse's. I don't want you to picture those big oval eyes of Mickey Mouse. I don't want you to picture that squeaky little voice of Mickey Mouse. Just don't picture Mickey Mouse. All right, everybody open your eyes. Anybody picture Mickey Mouse? <laughs> All right. All right. All right. One more time. Close your eyes. One more time. Okay. I want you to picture a person that you're close to. Your best friend, spouse. Picture what that person looks like. Their eyes, their face, their hair, and so on. Now open your eyes for a moment. How many of you saw Mickey Mouse still? <laughs> Maybe not a good thing to admit. It is harder to stop doing something than it is to start doing something else. Just how spiritual life grows. For instance, if you have a problem with complaining, it's very difficult to say tomorrow morning, I'm going to try really, really hard not to complain. Instead, what you need to do is to cultivate gratitude. If you've got a problem with gossip, it's very hard to say, I'm going to try to stop gossiping tomorrow. But instead, what you need to say is, I'm going to practice affirmation and encouragement. Zacchaeus could have said, 
I'm still going to collect taxes. That's my job, but I'm going to try really, really, really hard not to be greedy about it when I do it. Probably what would have happened is that he'd been greedy all over again. Instead, he says, I am so motivated and so hungry to live in the kingdom and to live as a follower of Jesus that not only will I give up my greed, I'm going to call it the opposite. I'm going to become a generous person. Half of everything I get, I'm going to give to the poor. Maybe the clearest sign of an authentic repentance is when your number one goal is to set things right. Jesus' followers look to set things right. That's what Zacchaeus does. At the end of this section, verse 9 and 10, Jesus summarizes this whole deal. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says to him, today. Notice, Zacchaeus at this point has done nothing. Done nothing. But Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus is just not genetically, but spiritually back in the family of God. The family that looks at him as a traitor. Somebody who's shunned and thrown out. Is now back in the family of God because of Jesus. And to clarify all this, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The truth about Zacchaeus is that he was wretched and despised, he was filled with guilt, life and waste. But he was only one sincere confession away from being with God. He was lost as it is impossible to be, but he was always close to God. And all he had to do Come out of life and surrender. So this morning, I don't know where you're at and what you are wrestling with. No matter how wretched the area of your life may be, no matter how big it feels to you, you are only one prayer away, one ask away from being redeemed by God. So would you close your eyes one more time? Every head bowed, eyes closed. We're just going to close this morning. But this time of prayer, we just say, God, search me and know me. You know my heart. You know my mind. You know my feelings. See if there is any wicked way in me. And God, I just I bring it out into the open. I'm going to stop hiding about this. I cannot get better. I cannot even be loved if I keep hiding. The God I know you are the God of grace. But you step forward in grace, that you live by grace. You love to extend it. So God, I'm just going to trust in that. I'm going to bring it forward. God, I'm just going to give it to you. God, help me to take the next steps. Help me to remove those things and replace them. The life that you want me to live. God, I pray for all of us here. We all have things that we're hiding. All have things that we're afraid of, we're embarrassed by. 
God, help all of us here this morning have courage to just confess it to you, bring it to you, to give it to you. God, I pray no one who leaves here this morning with any more weight on their shoulders. This will be the morning where they just give it away. And God, I pray that you will just enter into their life right now. I pray this be the morning that they say, God, I now want to follow your kind of life, your way of life. I don't want to try to live a life the way religious people and other people think I should live it. I don't want to live a life the way according to the world says I should live it. Power, possessions. God, I want to live your kind of life. I'm willing to sacrifice anything and everything for it. God, give us the courage to say that this morning. We pray this all in Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who gave everything for us, sacrificed everything so that we could be free. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.